This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Yesterday, oh boy, oh boy, what a mess if you had to use the Burlington Skyway to get where you needed to be because uh, shortly after noon, it was closed and uh, stayed stayed closed for quite a while uh, simply because of the winds on the Skyway, which uh, took an empty tractor trailer and pushed it over onto its side. To talk more about this and how do you make this call? What is the protocol for closing the Skyway? What, What speed do winds have to get? Uh, how do you know when to reopen it again? Let's bring in Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, Media Relations, Highway Safety Division, Ontario Provincial Police. He is with us now. Hello, Kerry. How are you today? I'm very good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, thanks, for, take, thanks for taking the time. And, Kerry, i got to give you kudos. Uh, what you do as a media relations officer for the OPP, I saw the video that you did with the actual driver of this truck inside your yeah. police cruiser, and that is so insightful and, and gives us such a handle on what you uh, guys and girls do every day. Uh, good for you, and, and way to use social media to keep us all informed. That was, that was a great report that we saw. Oh, right, wonderful. Thank you. It was, it was, it was great. You know, he he uh, had a story to tell, and uh, obviously uh, he had quite the experience that he had to endure. And, uh, yeah, just uh, getting that perspective, because we're all, we're all just trying to do our jobs as well, right? And so you know, he's trying to get home, and we're trying to make sure uh, public is safe. And if we can get these stories going that help us uh, get that uh, that perspective across. Um, glad to glad to do that. Good for you. All right. So uh, I was I was watching the video and the you know listening to the poor guy's story. What happened? He just got up over the top of the skyway and he started to feel the thing lift up. Yeah. Well, you know, it happened so fast. I don't think he really had time to realize what was happening. Uh, he was up. Uh, he told me he was up on the right lane there and started kind of getting into the middle. And uh, and all of a sudden, by the time he realized his trailer was going up, he called it like a wave. And just kind of lifted him up, and he had a co-driver in the back of the truck with him as well. And he just gave him a quick holler, tell him, told him to hold on tight. And uh, before he knew he was uh, going over, he was already down, and he got uh, slammed up against the uh, the wall, against the, the left side. The wind was just pushing him right across the uh, the bridge there. You know, that's a pretty pretty frightening experience, considering you're up high like that in a big transport truck, and that trailer is acting like the biggest sail ever. And I was up on the bridge there. And I can tell you that wind was something incredible. The power in that uh, was uh, was making uh, every vehicle and, and the tow trucks and every vehicle I was in uh, shaking back and forth. It was it was uh, a sight to behold. So you had to actually, or not you, but the tow team had to actually pull this thing down the down the skyway in order to upright it. They couldn't upright it up uh, on the bridge, obviously. Well, you know, they didn't want to take that chance because the wind's already pulled it over uh, when it's going down the road on the wheels hooked onto the tractor. They didn't want to pull it all down with everything in one combination, so they split the tractor from the trailer. And by the time they got, and by the time they got that uh, separated, uh, to think about taking that trailer uh, and uh, slinging it up uh, between a couple of cables and putting it uh, in between uh, two trucks and get it up on its wheels, that's like a swing, mm-hmm. a, a sail on a swing now. And I think the risk of, of it uh, going over, maybe even pulling over, the, uh, the the tow trucks as well are certainly a real possibility. So that's something that they didn't want to take that chance, and I didn't want to take that chance either. So uh, we had this discussion up on top of the bridge. Let's get this thing down to the bottom and uh, do it someplace in a controlled environment away from these uh, direct onslaught of, of wind that are coming right off the, the water there. And how long did it take to actually get the truck out of the uh, off the scene? How, how long did that process take? So uh, we uh, the, the crash, I guess the rollover happened around 1 o'clock, and by the time uh, we got up on scene, got the trailer all moved down to the bottom, 
It was about uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock when we were all clear. Uh, unfortunately, just because we're clear doesn't mean we can reopen the bridge uh, because the winds were still there. So uh, we we got the truck down to the bottom of the uh, overpass. Uh, we would have kept dragging it if that was the only thing that was preventing us from reopening the highway. But we were still waiting for Mother Nature to take a break and uh, and uh, relent on those the wind gusts because they were getting gusts uh, up to uh, 100 and over 100 kilometers per hour. And uh, and after the MTO closes uh, the uh, the highway, in those circumstances, they're not going to reopen it uh, until they have sustained gusts of under 80 kilometers per hour. And that uh, happened uh, in around the 5 o'clock hour when the things started to calm down. All right, so uh, that's specifically why we called, Carrie. What is the protocol for closing it down? When do you decide to do that? Because obviously this is a major thoroughfare. Uh, how, how do you make that decision? Well, absolutely. That's uh, actually something that the Ministry of Transportation uh, it monitors all the time. They have they have uh, speed, uh, I guess, uh, weather weather systems uh, up on the bridges and overpasses uh, just to monitor wind speeds. And uh, they had signs already on the uh, QW leading up to uh, the uh, Skyway on both sides, a warning of uh, high winds and extreme wind uh, wind levels, and just to drive with caution. Uh, because even in a passenger vehicle, you're still going to get thrown around. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so by the time uh, we realized that uh, the winds were at that level, we were already in discussions uh, regarding uh, closures or what the next steps would be, and that truck went over uh, before we had a chance to even make that call to get it shut down. So obviously we made that uh, call to close the highway as soon as uh, uh, we were made aware of this situation, and uh, we got officers uh, there to assist with that. And it was actually just a, a couple hours later that the Garden City Skyway also uh, was closed because of wind gusts. Uh, it remained open from 1 o'clock till about uh, 3 o'clock, uh, and then they closed it later on. So it, it depends what they're experiencing uh, in St. Catharines versus what they're experiencing over in Hamilton, Burlington area. So uh, when they did decide to reopen it uh, around 5 or 6, uh, winds had subsided. They went from, what, 100 to 80, you said? Yeah, they were under 80. I was talking to the one of the MTO uh, inspectors there that was on the bridge uh, monitoring the wind speeds, and uh, they, they were getting uh, gusts uh, below 80, and that was sustained. So that was good. They wanted to make sure it wasn't just a, a quick lull in the action, and they uh, they were satisfied that the winds were calming down, which they seemed to be, and they opened the highway as quickly as they could. As they could. And obviously our priority is public safety, and we would not want to see a repeat of what we saw there at 1 o'clock. And fortunately, no serious injuries. Uh, I can't imagine what could have happened had there been uh, other vehicles uh, in that area or multiple vehicles involved in that collision. So uh, we certainly uh, take the public uh, safety side of uh, our work uh, very seriously. And by the time uh, we realized this was an issue, we made arrangements to get that highway closed. So uh, from what I'm understanding here, Kerry, it's about 100K gusts when they start to think about closing the, the bridges. Uh, you know, you have to speak to the MTO on that on what they actually, uh, what their threshold is. I know when I was up on top of the bridge, I was on the uh, Environment Canada's website, and, and they were staying out of Hamilton. They were getting wind gusts of 114 uh, mm-hmm. in and around that area. So yeah, that, that's pretty significant. Anything, anything over 100K, you were certainly, uh, you know, we're going to be looking at closing uh, closing the, the highway. But the ministry are the ones that that make those calls. Obviously, in consultation with us, uh, we need to be aware of that. But uh, they're the ones that are monitoring the uh, the wind and the weather. And as you mentioned, uh, boy, it was awful lucky that nobody was beside this guy when he went over. 
Absolutely. And he got uh, slammed right across uh, all lanes and ended up against the uh, left side wall as, uh, as he came to a rest, uh, right up against that wall. And, and beyond that wall, it's, it's a drop, it's a yeah. straight drop down. So that's, uh, that's pretty frightening. And he's up high and he sees it. Plus, he's got a co-driver in the back of his truck uh, that's not really aware of what's going on. And he gave him a quick holler to hold on tight. And fortunately, uh, they, uh, they made a couple of cuts and scrapes and uh, certainly a story they won't soon forget. Uh, this trailer was empty, Carrie. Would this have gone over if it was full, or would that have played a role in this? Well, yeah, I think uh, that probably has something to do with it. There's not as much weight holding it down, and uh, obviously a fully loaded tractor trailer, I doubt, would have gone over as quickly as an empty one. Uh, it, it certainly has the same uh, amount of, of uh, square footage of, mm-hmm. of surface area, on on the trailer, regardless if it's open or full, so it's obviously going to be easier to pull over or blow over an empty trailer, and that's obviously what we uh, saw happen in this situation. All right, Kerry Schmidt, Sergeant Kerry Schmidt, has been with us, Media Relations, Highway Safety Division, Ontario Provincial Police. Kerry, thanks very much for the time. Much appreciated. Stay safe. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Premier Kathleen Wynne says the Ontario government is currently in talks to purchase more hydro from Quebec. Uh, How does that affect the hydro plan that they have put forward that will help consumers with struggling rates? Brian Hill is with his associate producer, Global News, was on the call with Wynne last night uh, when this all went down, and he is with us now. Hello, Brian. How are you today? Hi, I'm very good. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for taking the time to join us. So a lot of us are surprised to hear about this uh, this morning, uh, Brian. How, how, did this just sort of come out of left field? Um, yeah, no, I mean, she's, uh, Premier Wynn sort of mentioned this in response to, a, to another question, talking about uh, the state of Ontario's electricity system and things that they're doing to address it. One of those things being, um, you know, ongoing talks with Quebec to potentially purchase more electricity in, you know, following agreements that we've already signed with the province. So where does that leave us? Um, because most would assume we have, and as she has said, and as the energy minister said yesterday, we have a surplus. So why are we looking at buying power from Quebec? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we, we do have a surplus. We have an overcapacity, and at times we produce more electricity than we use. So what ends up happening then is that we sell it, um, often at a loss. Um, so we'll pay, you know, X number of cents to produce it, and then we'll sell it for less than whatever it is we're producing it at on the, on the open market. But uh, in terms of the actual cost of producing electricity, I mean, the deal that Ontario signed in, two th- in, in uh, October of last year to buy the two terawatts of electricity, it's about enough to power 200,000 homes. I mean, that's actually, that deal was actually good in a sense that the rate we're paying is far less than what we pay to produce any other form of electricity in Ontario. So we're, 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 yes, we're at an overcapacity, but I think the goal of that initial agreement, and I would hope of any future agreement, would be to replace generation that we currently have in Ontario with hydropower that's cheaper from Quebec. So, um, so th- this is more for future than it is for now. I guess my point in all of this, Brian, is why didn't we start here as opposed to finishing here? It appears like now this seems to have come into the in, into the forefront. You know, post high prices and, and people getting really upset with the government. Mm-hmm. Why didn't we start here? Do you think? It's a good question. Uh, I, I, I don't really know. I know that uh, initially when the Green Energy Act came in in 2008 and nine, and when we started signing FIT contracts, 
there were provisions in there uh, by Ontario or by local provisions. The goal was to really jumpstart a uh, green energy economy in Ontario. And while many jobs, according to the government, uh, more than 20,000 jobs have been created in that sector, they hope to create many more. The problem is that within two years of those uh, of the, the FIT programs being launched, the World Trade Organization basically said, uh-uh, no, buy Ontario clauses don't fit with what you've already agreed to. So they were, the government was forced to change that. So we started purchasing things from outside of, outside of Ontario because these buy Ontario clauses just were no longer any good. Uh, so, you know, the in-Ontario solution may have worked or may have been a good idea at the time, like the minister has said, but the way in which the government went about doing it certainly wasn't effective. And Minister Thibault has said that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the way that we did it, I don't know why. But, uh, you know, buying cheap power from Quebec certainly seems like an alternative. So when does this start? Do we know or has it been going on? Uh, the talks? Uh, no, when do we actually start purchasing power from these people? Oh, I see. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we, we start now. So the deal would be between, well, the deal that was signed was, would go until, in October, would go until 2023. Uh, we'd be purchasing about two terawatts a year, about a billion dollars a year worth of electricity. Any new deals, there's really no specifics on that. Uh, you know, again, that what the government said at the time was, we're going to buy this power and phase out some of our natural gas-generated power. So we'll use cheap five cents a kilowatt hour power from Quebec and replace some of that more expensive generation in natural gas. So I would hope, again, like I say, that any new deal with Quebec would include those sorts of things where we can effectively phase out expensive generation here in Ontario and buy more power from Quebec. Is anybody concerned that we will overpay for electricity from Quebec the way we have for renewable? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, the deal we signed in October was to pay five cents a kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. So right now we're paying the cheapest form of electricity we generate in Ontario right now is nuclear at about 5.9 or 6.5 cents per kilowatt hour, depending on where you get it. But those costs are going up with nuclear refurbishment. Depending on how you look at it, we could be paying as much as 17 cents per kilowatt hour for nuclear within the next 10 years. So uh, at five cents a kilowatt hour, electricity from Quebec is a bargain because everything else we pay for in Ontario is grossly overpriced, when mm-hmm. it comes, in, relatively speaking. You know, the original FIT contracts, we were paying as much as $0.80 cents per kilowatt hour. We were paying large-scale producers $0.60 cents per kilowatt hour. We were paying anywhere from 40 to $0.80. Cents. The deal from Quebec is $0.05. Cents. Mm. So even at the low end of those original contracts, we're paying, you know, one-eighth of the price to purchase it from Quebec. Is the is the whole purpose of this, Brian, to lower the rates more, or is this designed to help uh, when we eventually phase out nuclear? Um, I, I, I couldn't answer that, like uh, to say for sure. I know that if we were able to successfully phase out more expensive generation here in Ontario and replace it with uh, uh, power from Quebec, it would definitely reduce prices, just simply by fact that if you costs you 10 or 20 or 30 cents to produce something here and you're buying it for five cents from somewhere else that's the cost savings Mm -hmm. there's there's no way around that you need to improve infrastructure you need to build new transmission lines but unlike nuclear we can estimate pretty easily what the cost of a new transmission line is so even if it costs us a billion we know it will cost us a billion whereas when you start building new nuclear you can promise that it will cost 12 but it might cost 30 and no 
And nuclear is at the, at this point right now just simply because these reactors are are old and neither either be to neither uh, need to either be refurbished or taken out of commission. Yeah, it would be really hard for us to tomorrow say we're turning off nuclear mm-hmm. because as it is right now, nuclear provides sixty percent of Ontario's power. Yeah. So. Uh, to say, okay, tomorrow we're shutting down nuclear, we're very difficult. And uh, from everything that I understand, I just simply don't think Quebec has that amount of power to sell us. Now, could they sell us more? I think definitely. Both Premier Wynne and Premier Kuyoff have announced, uh, have said in, that they, they do want more deals. So there is more power there. But I think that needs to be contingent on replacing expensive generation here in Ontario. Um, you know, part of the issue with that is, it doesn't create jobs in Ontario to purchase power from Quebec, Good not necessarily. Point. I mean, mm. you need to build new transmission lines, and that creates jobs, sure, but not like the jobs that you see in the nuclear industry, for example. They're there for a long, long time. So, obviously, we don't have the capacity to produce, to produce hydroelectricity the way Quebec does. Is that correct? No, no, we definitely don't. We just, we don't have the, we've got Niagara, and, yeah. and we've been using that for more than 100 years. Or mm-hmm. We've got other areas, small-scale hydro, and I mean, Ontario power generation does produce a significant amount. I believe about 20 or 25. But obviously, Quebec is more efficient at doing this just because of the geography. 99% of their power is produced by hydro. Yeah, yeah. good for them. So, they, they are obviously just looking at us and thinking, wow, we can certainly help them out, can't we? <laughs> well, I, I think that's where there needs to be there needed to be more cooperation, and and I think the premier, even when looking back at this, she you know quite openly said, I wish things maybe had been done a little bit differently, and I think she's been quite honest in that, saying maybe I would have done things differently, and and uh, you know hopefully in the future governments will be looking and doing things more strategically, really looking down the road, and um, you know there is something to be said for producing and having control over the electricity supply so you you know where you, it's within your jurisdiction but yeah. at the same time quebec isn't in a foreign you know state quebec isn't uh, some far-flung place it's our neighbor we've been beside each other for a long time we're celebrating 150 years of confederation uh, i think two provincial governments could probably come together and sign an agreement and that probably could have been done long ago uh, and so hydro in Quebec, it's not a new, it's not a new thing. So, you know, looking, it's impossible to change the past, but sure, it would have been nice if maybe some of those agreements were signed earlier. Brian Hill has been with his associate producer, Global News, talking about Premier Wynne uh, and Quebec, of course, exchanging uh, power, or sorry, exchanging money for power. Brian, thank you very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Pleasure. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. White House officials said yesterday that uh, President Trump, boy, that just flows off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, I, I just like calling him the Donald, although people get upset when I don't call him President Trump. They say I'm being disrespectful. And Lord knows the president has never been. Uh, The White House official said yesterday that the Donald was not a target of an investigation. This comes five days after the president raised the claim that former President Barack Obama had wiretapped him in Trump Tower. Or his offices, anyway. Uh, Until yesterday, his press secretary had had declined to discuss the claim. But yesterday, he was handed a note that said there was no reason to think that the president was the target of this investigation. To talk more about all of this, Michael Traugott is with us, professor of communication studies and political science, University of Michigan. He is on the line with us now. Hello, Michael. How are you today? 
Pretty good. And you, Scott? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us, Michael. We appreciate this. So uh, can you decode this for us in any way, Michael? What do we know? What don't we know here? What are the, what's the latest here? Well, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to decode entirely uh, because the whole story started with a tweet from Donald Trump. Uh, and for several days, uh, his support staff, uh, in, including uh, Sean Spicer and his assistant, uh, tried to talk their way around the implications of the of the tweet. And then, uh, actually, at the press conference yesterday, uh, Sean Spicer started with what his was his uh, standard explanation for. There's uh, no story here. What the president believes is what he believes. But then he was handed this note near the very end of his press conference, and then he made this declarative statement that there was no investigation. We think that the tweet originated following something that the president might have read. This is awfully speculative statement, isn't it? Something that the president might have read on Breitbart News and possibly uh, another website. And he took it as the truth and then inserted the claim into his tweet. But actually, there's a, a fairly uh, a rigorous and complicated process, for example, to establish a wiretap uh, on, on a U.S. citizen, which requires getting a, a, a warrant from the FISA court, uh, Foreign Intelligence uh, Court. And they couldn't find any record of such uh, a decision by the court, and that was the basis for the request that Donald Trump withdraw his claim. Uh, how did Sean Spicer react to that? I guess he just does what he's told. Well, uh, he, I think he's tried, he's tried, especially in the last couple of weeks, to explain uh, to the press corps in the White House that his job uh, is not to do their research, but only to explain the positions of the president. Yeah. So, you know, they, they've actually been uh, almost literally running around in circles trying to make this claim that what the president believes is what he believes. Whether or not it's supported, in fact, is a separate issue. And uh, at one point, not in yesterday's press conference, but a couple of days ago, um, he actually, Sean Spicer actually indicated that it was the job of the congressional committees uh, to verify whether or not the claim was true, not for the president uh, to substantiate his claim. Would the president not have this information or at least be able to get it? I mean, he keeps talking about other parties, other people involved. He's the president. He's the top dog. Can he get all the answers he wants? Uh, we think that that should be possible and actually <laughs> quite straightforward. He, uh, could, he could ask the director of the FBI to make a statement. The director of the FBI has already asked the attorney general, the head of the Justice Department, to make a statement, but he... Jeff Sessions uh, has refused. Um, 
And that's what leads people to believe that there was no such warrant uh, issued. Uh, so uh, you alluded to where you thought he got the information, and, and we've all heard the same thing. There's no secret there. It, it came from right. uh, uh, that talk show and then uh, uh, the news organization, uh, the right-wing news organization, Brabant. What, uh, why does he just not confirm where he heard the information? Well, oh, sorry, we don't know the answer. First of all, we don't know the answer to that definitively. But um, you know, his behavior over time—that is, you know, going back to the beginning of the campaign—suggests uh, that he has uh, a, a, a pretty simple and straightforward belief in a lot of conspiracy theories. And when he when he hears a conspiracy theory that, in particular, uh, reflects upon him and his own behavior, he's even more likely to believe it. So the claim that his phone was being tapped uh, is is really what got him excited and moved him to make this you know, public declaration or statement about Barack Obama's administration. Will he ever come clean on this? Will he ever try to explain why he did what he did? Uh, based upon his past behavior, uh, you know, with regard to other tweets that he's made that were uh, in error, there's no reason to believe that he will. He doesn't have uh, any interest or penchant for recanting statements that he has made that turn out to be false. He'll just let it ride. So where does he go from here? What does he do now, Michael? Uh, well, I think the pro- the problematical issue for the American people is that we will sooner or later, or he will sooner or later, face uh, a real uh, public policy dilemma, maybe a foreign policy dilemma, and he's going to have to go on the air and address the American people, tell them something that he only uh, knows about with a very limited circle of staff, and then said, uh, and then say, I, uh, I need you to believe me that this is the right thing to do, whatever hmm. you know position he adopts. And there'll be a credibility issue here, uh, <clears throat> not for the entire U.S. population, because of course his base is inclined to believe these outrageous yeah. claims. Yeah. But for the rest of the for the rest of the population. And that's going to uh, have severe consequences for him, at least, but possibly for all of us. Uh, So theoretically, he would have fallen for fake news from his own sources. Yes. Because uh, that, know, that, that, that if, if, if anybody comes out and says that or proves that, I mean, and I'm sure that's the conclusion most are coming to now, I mean, how does that make the president look? I mean, he's the one that's, you know, he stands up and says, I love WikiLeaks. Uh, and now, of course, they're in, they've got issues there. Um, you know, he said he tweeted his comment uh, in regard to Barack Obama on the weekend. Um, how, do you, how do you move forward? I mean, you know, as you mentioned, his supporters are going to believe what they want to believe. But the rest of the country, I, I mean, aren't they just going to shrug their shoulders at this guy? Well, I, I mean, I think that this is a, a recurring and, and serious problem. I don't think he understands either the power of his office 
or the nuance that's necessary to govern effectively. And uh, he, he tends to, I mean, you know, this is all observational. He tends to see the world in black and white. He makes declarative statements, uh, some of which are, are outrageous. But he, he doesn't appreciate the cumulative effect of a series of false claims on his own credibility. So at the end of the day, Michael, do you think this is it? Sean, Spike, uh, Sean Spicer fixed it with his statement. Uh, there is no wiretap. Now we just move, all move on? Well, I don't think that this is it. First of all, because there's no reason to believe we won't have another incident sooner rather than later. Hmm. That would be the, you know, involved an equivalent claim. And um, I, I think that soon his uh, staff, including... Uh, uh, Sean Spicer and Hope Hicks are going to have to start uh, thinking about what's being asked of them and whether they're up to it or not. Wow. Um, obviously, there's investigations going on with Russia and and hacking and in you know intelligence gathering and such. Uh, obviously, uh, Donald Trump has appeared to be more pro Russian than not. Uh, that we should be building more relationships, uh, better relationships with with Russia. Will his name come up in other parts of other investigations just simply because of his involvement with Russia? Well, I think that uh, I, I think that uh, Jim Comey is scheduled to testify before Congress in a public hearing in about two weeks, maybe on the twentieth or the twenty-first of March, and he has to be. Uh, asked, um, it's almost certain that he'll be asked these questions about this particular incident and then also about other investigations. He, he uh, almost certainly won't comment on other investigations, at least publicly, but I wouldn't be surprised if he took it upon himself to say he doesn't know where the president uh, got this particular claim he made. As far as he knows, there's no substantiation for it. And you don't think Trump will say anything about this anymore? Um, I don't think he'll be inclined to. I mean, I think some uh, cooler heads will pre- prevail upon him. Uh, but it could be, the, the Comey testimony could be the occasion for revisiting the issue, depending upon, first of all, what Comey says, and then secondly, whether or not uh, Donald Trump uh, tweets in response to the testimony. Where will Trump be, I don't know, a year or two from now if Americans are feeling that he is just crying wolf all the time, that they don't know whether to believe him or not? I mean, where does that leave the American people when they don't know whether to believe the president or not? Well, I mean, he's 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 in a lot of trouble, for example, on the uh, replacement for the uh, Affordable Care Act. He's made multiple public statements about uh, a better plan, lower cost, no loss in coverage, uh, that uh, based upon what we know in the last 48 hours, doesn't seem credible uh, in association with the the draft of the bill that the Republicans in Congress have proposed. So that's another major commitment in which he said, uh, I, I, I've got a better deal, believe me, and it's not going to turn out to be true. So 
I think the credibility issue is going to haunt him for some time into the future. Uh, obviously, lots of chatter in the last 24, 48 hours in regard to WikiLeaks and the information from the CIA and tapping into smartphones and such and so on and so forth. Uh, during the campaign, Trump praised WikiLeaks. He said he loved WikiLeaks. How does he feel now? How, has his position changed on this? Well, he hasn't said very much directly about this, but uh, I'm sure that he feels as president that this has been a major security breach and uh, WikiLeaks in some way or form ought to pay for this. Uh, and the FBI talking about investigations is, you know, on this already trying to interview people who might've been the source of the, of the leak. So this is another inconsistency in the, in the positions that he takes. So can he continue to defend WikiLeaks in this, as opposed to the institutions that we've all come to believe in, as in CIA, FBI, what have you? I mean, I'm not saying these people are, you know, sheet linen white or anything, but um, how does he balance this one, saying that he loves them on one hand and yet they're infiltrating security here? Well, the, uh, I mean, the normal... Uh, consistency that we expect uh, from somebody in the position of president of the United States is not is just not something we're going to get out of Donald Trump. Yeah, I guess you know realistic expectations. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Michael. Uh, we have lots of experts like yourself on, and we keep asking the same questions and get basically the same answers. And I guess we're just asking them, hoping that sometime we'll get a, a different answer. But I guess that doesn't seem like the case, does it? Well, it could happen, but I wouldn't be betting a lot of money on it. <laughs> well put. Uh, Michael Trogott has been with us, professor of communication studies and political science, University of Michigan. Uh, White House officials said yesterday that the president was not a target of an investigation or wiretap. Michael, thank you for the time and insight. As always, I'm sure we'll chat again. Good to chat. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right. Uh, good news. Uh, we have been awarded, once again, the Canadian uh, Country Music Awards, and we will host Can uh, Country Music Week in the Hammer coming up next year. To talk more about all of this, Graham Rockingham, music critic for your Hamilton Spectator. You can read him there and at thespec.com. It is Graham Rockingham. Hello, Graham. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Scott. What are you up to? Well, I uh, spent the morning down at the Tourism Center uh sipping coffee and rubbing elbows with the big wigs of the Canadian country music industry and the mayor and everything. Yeah, I thought they'd be right. serving some white lightning down there. No shine? Not, not at Come on. <laughs> it's got to be It's got to be noon somewhere. <laughs> Good point. All right. Good point. So, uh, first of all, talk about the announcement, what, what was said this morning, and uh, how excited is everybody about this? I think it's, it's big news because, uh, uh, I mean, it's... It comes follow. It comes on the heels of uh, uh, very successful 2015 Junos. Um, three years later, we'll be getting CCMAs, uh, which is the the number two, really the number two musical event uh, or or musical any award show. Yeah. Do any award show in the country, and it's uh, nationally televised. Um, anywhere between two and three million uh, viewers watch it mm -hmm. live. 
and it'll be all taking place uh, September uh, 9th, uh, right down our own first Ontario Center. It is a, I mean, I can't, you can't say enough about the the economic impact of this. Uh, don't forget, it's not just one award show. It is the uh, it is an industry national convention. There'll be 850 uh, delegates coming here um, just to talk shop and have dinner down at the convention center. Um, that f- will fill up 2,000 hotel rooms. Beauty. Uh, that will. Uh, I mean, they were Anna Bradford from uh, Tourism Hamilton was estimating 25,000 people participating because there's four days of events. You have the you have the big fan fest, the autograph signings, the uh, you have a series of concerts and venues all through down uh, downtown. You know, it starts on the Thursday and continues right through the Sunday. How does this compare to the Junos, Graham? Is it roughly the same, or is it a bit smaller? It is a bit smaller. Um, it, it is uh, smaller in, in a television audience. Um, the Junos are estimated to bring in twelve million bucks when they're when they're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're talking about uh, five and a half million or five point three million. Close enough. Yeah, but it's close. It's, it's still big money, mm-hmm. and it's 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 not just the money. It's the profile. Yeah. It's it's just the additional uh, uh, cool factor that the city has been building up, and it builds up uh, uh, year after year. And we've been on such an upswing uh, on this over the last ten years. So it's cool. And then, and you know, there's, we have so many more. When when I started this beat fifteen years ago. Um, we couldn't hold these events because yeah. we didn't have hotel rooms. Yeah, that was a big stumbling block for the that longest time, wasn't it? Yeah. And now you look at what's going on downtown. Yeah, yeah we got this, uh, the hotel rooms. I think we could probably use a little bit uh, bigger convention space. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 1,600 members uh, of the uh, uh, Canadian Country Music Association, but I think we can only... We uh, we can only get like 850 into the convention center right. for sit down meals, so we could use a bigger space like that, and maybe that's being worked on as well. But uh, yeah, it's great, and and it bodes well for bringing the Junos back, it, yeah. the, the big big show. I don't think there's any chance of us having that until 2021 at the earliest. Um, they haven't made the announcement for the next Junos yet, but I'm sure it's going to uh, Western Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the, it, Toronto will be getting it before us. I think they want to uh, host the 50th anniversary. Uh, Toronto wants to do the 50th anniversary of the Junos. They'll get it. Wow. You know <laughs> 50th anniversary of the Junos. Yeah. Does that make me feel old? Yeah. <laughs> well, it started, I mean, it started off down in the, I think it was the... Uh, it's like the Four Seasons Hotel, wasn't it? Well, they, they, I think they graduated to that. I think it was actually like the St. Lawrence. Uh, uh, oh, Saint really? Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like where they hold the mar- right by the market. It was. Uh, it was. It started off pretty small. Yeah. But the the the, the, the CCMAs are getting bigger all the time. Um, we had uh, at the news conference this morning uh, a great local artist. He's from St. Catharines and still lives in St. Catharines. Uh, uh, he played. Uh, at uh, I almost called it Ivor Wynn at Tim Hortons at uh, mm-hmm. one of the football games uh, uh, last season. Uh, Tim Hicks, he's terrific, and uh, it was great to see him uh, sing a few songs. He's got a hit 
uh, on the charts right now. He's just broke number ten, uh, uh, the top ten. Mm-hmm. So there's there's plenty of great local talent. Of course, we'll be getting great talent all over them. And uh, one of the, I'm trying to think of who uh, performed last year or last time it was in town. It was a great night. It was a great night, and it uh, fills. Uh, first Ontario Center. What is last, that? I mean, we last had it, and uh, the neat thing about it is the the, uh, the CCMAs are always held in September. Mm-hmm. So when they come here, as they did last time in 2011, it was the same weekend as Supercrawl. Yeah, that's cool. That um, works well. That worked really well, <laughs> yeah. and, and that was the year Supercrawl re- yeah. took off and exploded. Yep. And you had these merging crowds on the street mm-hmm. you know you had all these uh cowboy boots and country uh uh, uh, uh cowboy boots and hats and mm-hmm. and all these uh hipster uh, skinny jean types all blended together on <laughs> jerry street north it's kind of cool um this year or, or in two, 2018 it won't be the same weekend yeah um although it will be the, the the awards, the country awards, are the weekend before Supercrawl in 2018. Mm. Tim Potasik is one of the co-chairs uh, of the uh, Country Music uh, Awards uh, local host organizing committee. Yeah, and of course he's going to do what he can to uh, have the two events collaborate. Are they going? Are they thinking of re- of moving Supercrawl? No, they won't be doing that because it's it's set into the second yeah. week, uh, weekend. But but maybe you can expand be, it. I think there'll be some super crawl events around country music awards, and 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 really they'll bleed they'll bleed into each. That'll other. be cool too. Uh, yeah, and you know what? Spread it out. I mean, why not see why how much not? we can get out of it, right? So it'll be more of a, a full week. I mean, sure. It's been doing that. Uh, super crawl has been do, doing that anyways. I mean, it's been they've been having uh, pre concerts just mm-hmm. as uh, the, the Sound of Music Awards does in uh, in, in Burlington. So uh, that's happening anyway. So it's 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 all good, and uh, it makes September just a great way to close off the summer in this city. Uh, let me ask you this, and of course it's a question you can't answer. How come we have no problem pulling in the Junos and the Canadian Country Music Awards? We can't get a Grey Cup. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I I that's a good question because we've now got the stadium, and I yeah. guess all the. Uh, uh, the legal problems with the stadium are off of it. Uh, hopefully, that will bring concerts to it, uh, to it as well. But uh, that's a good question. Um, it's it's like asking. Uh, I like it, it's like why can't we get an NHL team? I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Uh, because we do have obviously we do have the hotels and the facilities. Maybe we've got to get uh, uh, people from the CFL into town. Hmm. Um, During a super crawl. Well, a super crawl. Or this award show, yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah, take them down to the mule and feed them uh, Brussels sprouts tacos. (laughs) Uh, 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 There's been lots of talk about what to do with First Ontario Centre, a.k.a. mm -hmm. AKA Cops. Mm -hmm. Uh, From an entertainment perspective, uh, rather than a sport perspective, what do you see? Uh, from an entertainment perspective, is a totally different thing. This is a, still a very. Uh, uh, it still gets us big acts in town. It still gets us big acts. It's still very. Um, now, if easy we shrink it, because it, it is still it is still a good uh, uh, thing about that stadium. The fact that it's thirty years old, it, you you can use it in many different ways. Yeah. And and I I I've talked to John Brunton who 
puts on the uh, he's the producer of the Juno Awards. He loves working uh, uh, at, at uh, First Ontario Center for that very reason. Um, you can do many. You can move things yeah. on the floor. You can mm-hmm. uh, so so it's still a great place to put on concerts and and sound isn't a problem. I mean, but are you fearful they, if we make it smaller, we'll lose some of those acts? We will. Yeah. Um, uh, we make it the size of uh, uh, of, of London. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to get Paul McCartney. We're not going to get uh, Garth Brooks. We're not going to get Bruce. Uh, Bruce. We're not, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, it that is an advantage. And I don't I don't know about maintenance on it, what it requires to keep a place. You know, turn yeah. the lights on in a place like that. But we would lose those acts. And then, which is really our only advantage. I mean, London, Ontario, is is not the Toronto market. We are still the Toronto market. Yeah. But London has a, an advantage over Hamilton to book acts to begin with. Because yeah. it's, it's outside it's, the zone, yeah. It's outside the zone. We're inside that zone. Yeah. So we rarely get the acts uh, that are coming to Toronto. We have to go see them. Uh, but London can because yeah. it's... 100 miles away almost. And uh, so, or it was more than 100 miles away. But so, the only advantage we have for attracting the big shows is the size. Yeah. Um, I, and I, you know, you can put on a comfortable feeling show in there just with the lower bowl. Yeah. I mean, you just. Yeah, so it's full service in that respect. Yeah, you yeah. just curtain, you just curtain away the whole thing. Yeah. Um, what we saw for the Arkells. Uh, was a very interesting uh, uh, use of that uh, uh, that hockey rink as well, where you had general admission on the floor and yeah. and the stage going the opposite way, going. I guess. It was and that's the obviously floor. something they're going to have to consider when they refurb this thing. Yeah, they. Uh, when or if? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, you're way <laughs> we, ahead of yourself on this. That's guy. a good point. Graham uh, Rockingham has been with his music critic for your Hamilton Spectator, talking about the Canadian Country Music Award show coming to Hamilton. Graham, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure. Let's bring in Don Green, president of the Canadian Country Music Awards. He is on the line with us now. Hello, Don. How are you today? Good. How are you, Scott? I'm doing very well. Uh, congratulations on the big announcement today. What is it that excites you guys about Hamilton? Well, we're located in Toronto, so it's just a... Uh short drive away for us but uh no hamilton's a great music town and has everything we need for country music week so we're pretty thrilled to be coming back and you know we were i was talking a little earlier with another guest graham rockingham a music critic from the spec we were talking about before it was always an issue with hotel rooms are there concerns are there challenges by bringing it here for you guys no no and we did when we were here in 2011 we did have concerns with hotel rooms but we have them all booked and locked up we've been Working with the city almost about two years on this bit, so all those things are taken care of. So hotels is not an issue anymore. Uh, the health of the country music association in or the health of the Canadian country music industry in Canada. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's pretty strong. We're we're such a fortunate genre of music to have. Well, a hundred country radio stations coast to coast, major country festivals, Boots and Hearts being one here in Ontario, coast to coast. Uh, a dedicated association with the nationally broadcaster award show. So we're probably the only genre of music that has that support. And country music is beloved by the whole reign of demographics now from young to old. So we have lots of people to celebrate with us in Hamilton in 2018. 
So a full week of activities through the whole week. Can you give us some idea of what that'll be like, what you'll have going on? Yeah, we, we slid down to three different buckets. We have an industry conference going on. So we have about 850 to 1,000 people from the industry coming in, and we have our own gala dinners and lunches, and there's education seminars. And then we have all these public events. We have a fan fest going on. It's a free event. We say it's our gift back to the city on the Saturday. We hope families come out and they hear their favorite singers and get pictures taken. We have a legend show um, where we bring some of our Hall of Fame inductees back and they put a show on with current artists, which is I, I can say is my favorite event. And we have songwriter series and we have a, a thing we call it the cabaret um, or a kitchen party. It depends where you are in the city, in the country, <laughs> which is a good time rocking kind of event on the Friday night really target at that 19 to 30 year old target market so and then it all leads up to our ccma award show on the sunday night at first ontario center so what is it about country music that it just seems to be more accessible to the fans i think i think the songs are very relatable the artists are very relatable um it's become almost that that pop music now yeah. um it's becoming so popular and again it's such a range. We have rock country, we have pop country, we have traditional country, a bluegrass country. It, it just appeals to so many different people. And so, and we embrace it all. And as you prepare for this, as you get ready to, uh, to roll this all out, at what point will we start to see uh, you guys come in and the city sort of start to transform into boots and hats? Probably we're in Saskatoon this September. So um, we're glad to get this announcement out of the way so we can um, focus on Saskatoon. But probably we put our tickets on sale for our show in December. So it, and why we put it so far out, we we found a lot of people like to give these as Christmas gifts. We don't even have to announce an act. I think people have just associated with, well, we're going to have a great show. We're going to have some guest artists from the States. And all the Canadian greats are going to be there. So... Probably around December, you'll start hearing about us more. You know, that sounds some, that says something about the loyalty of country music fans right there, doesn't it? Yeah. And they'll come out and listen to the, the new artists that are just trying to start to the ones who are legends. Our legends show up high sell out because people just love that, that sound and, and cherish those artists. So, and yeah, they're very how does it help that it's 2017 and just like pop music in Canada, uh, country music has seemed to found its own way. It's not like people have to say it's Canadian or this, that, or the other. It, it just seems to do well on its own, does it not? Yeah, it does. Um, it's a great, I love my job and, and because the music is, my whole family listens to this music. And I think, again, back to it's very relatable um, and you can listen to different types of it. And uh it's a very healthy genre of music in Canada right now, and around the world, actually. Don Green has been with us. He is the president of the Canadian Country Music Awards. Of course, uh, it has been announced, the Canadian Country Music Awards, coming to Hamilton 2018. September 9th is the big award show. And, of course, uh, once they get Saskatoon out of the way, we'll hear more about this uh, in the coming year. Uh, Don, uh, thanks very much for the time. Good luck with this. We'll chat again, I'm sure. Thanks, Scott. Talk soon. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.